Welcome to the Quick Talk Podcast with Joshua Latimer, where we discuss business, life, family, faith, struggle, fire, pain, and ultimately winning. It's time to take massive action. Look, I, I can't work harder on your life or business than you do. It's ultimately all on you. You know, God created all the food the birds would ever need, but he doesn't put it in their nest. You've got to go get it. 10 out of 10 people die. So how about doing something today that actually matters while you still can? Hey, my friends, welcome back to the Quick Talk Podcast. How the heck are you? Can you believe that spring is already here and you're about to get busy and run around like circus monkeys? It's going to be amazing. You know, every once in a while, I find a total rock star that, you know, has a service business, somebody that's done something totally extraordinary, and I will go online and I'll pester them and we'll track them down and we'll beg them to come be on the podcast so they can share their wisdom and expertise with you guys. And today is no exception. I'm actually joined by two rock stars, Brian Scudamore and James Alish. I hope I said his name right. And uh, <laughs> Alish. <laughs> Alish. Alish. Yeah. James yeah. Alish. Uh, really excited to talk to you guys. Now, Brian is the founder of many, many different big brands, one of which is 1-800-GOT-JUNK, which I'm sure you guys have heard of. He's built and scaled large companies. I read somewhere he dropped out of school early to get into entrepreneurship, so he's a crazy maniac just like you. The only difference is he's achieved some really extraordinary things. Uh, I want to welcome you, Brian and James. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having us, uh, Josh, and exciting to be on your podcast. You bet, our pleasure. So I'm assuming, Brian, when you got started, um, you're just a trust fund baby. You had a silver spoon, and everything was handed to you. Is that right? You got it. No, <laughs> uh, you know my 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 father is a liver transplant surgeon who really grew up with not a lot of money at all, and he worked incredibly hard to fund his way through school. He started a construction company, and he was you know, doing a ton of stuff while he went to medical school. And when it came time for me to fund my own education, my father was very clear that I had to pay for it. And there I was in a McDonald's drive through a beat up old pickup truck was in front of me with plywood sides built up on the box. I had just dropped out of high school, was one course short of graduation, wanted to go to college because all my friends were going. And I saw that pickup truck and I went, you know what, I should start hauling junk just like that guy Mark's hauling did. Went out and bought a pickup truck, 700 bucks, spent a, a few hundred on flyers and business cards. I had a business called the Rubbish Boys, and off I went to really just pay for college. But ironically, three years in, I was learning much more about how to run a business by actually doing it versus studying in school. And I sat down with my dad and said, guess what, dad? I got some great news for you. I'm leaving school to do this full time. I'm just learning too much by being on the street, so to speak, and Took him many, many years before he came on side to think that was actually a good idea. But that's the the birth the birth story, if you will, of one eight hundred got junk in a, a McDonald's drive through seven hundred dollar beater truck and a dream. That's super interesting. So when I started my first home service company, my parents wouldn't talk to me for a week because I had left a job at a bank to start squeegeeing windows, and they thought I was completely insane. Did were you not surrounded by entrepreneurs? Did they think you were, something was wrong with you back then? Yeah. Yeah, my grandparents ran an army surplus store in San Francisco, which is where I think my entrepreneurial spark came from. I loved watching them build a little business. 
and it was fun playing the game of business. But I think that my hopes and dreams became something much bigger. I was inspired by Ray Kroc, who built McDonald's, of course. And I loved how he took people and said, you know what, here's the idea, here's the vision. Let's build something bigger and better together by taking the systems, by taking the brand and really blowing it up in a great way. And we've tried to do the same thing with 1-800-GOT-JUNK and then secondary and tertiary businesses like Wow One Day Painting, which of course James runs, You Move Me, another business he runs, and then uh, our newest baby in the family, Shack Shine. I've actually heard of Shack Shine and you know, I'm, I wanna ask you a couple general questions and then I want to talk about, about Wow One Day Painting because that is a really interesting model, super, super interesting. But, you know, you guys are doing crazy stuff. You know, to the average person out there fighting the good fight, trying to, you know, maybe they're an artisan or more of a technician than really a CEO and they don't really know the difference. But they're listening to podcasts like this and they, they see how big your companies are and it just feels like this fake unicorn thing. And so the question is, like, what is what what is the biggest or the a few biggest factors between people that achieve, you know, 10 million plus with their service companies or, or 50 million, like the really high achievers and everybody else. Like, what is the disconnect? Is it a, the understanding of their financials at a deeper level? Is it managing the cash flow different? Is it a leadership thing? What, like, it's two different worlds in a way. Does, it, does that make sense, Brian? It does make sense. So, you know, I think I will comment and then I'll ask James for his comments because you might get a different perspective. There's always the the visionary and then the implementer and they approach things from two different places. But, you know, the visionary angle is I believe we're building something bigger and better together because, you know, two brains are better than one. And we have 250 brains. Uh, we've got franchise partners across Canada, the United States and Australia across all our brands. And the franchise system isn't created by me. It isn't created by James. It's created by all of our franchise partners pouring their heart and soul into building great brands together. And we're constantly innovating and finding better ways. So when you get a franchise partner in New Jersey that says, I've just found a better way to do X, the whole system benefits from that experimentation. And so I think the power in franchising is if you're an operator and you're building a, mini, a million dollar business, you're going at it alone. If you're building a $444 million business as we are, you have a lot of people and support and infrastructure here at the junction, the head office from our call center, our booking and dispatch systems, our marketing support. You, you build and scale at a much faster rate than you ever could if you were at it alone. Yeah, one thing, I don't know if you're familiar with Russell Brunson, he runs a company called ClickFunnels. And one thing, I follow him a lot, and he keeps talking about entrepreneurs need to ask the question, who, not how. Like, everybody wants to do everything themselves. And they're saying, how do I do this? How do I do Facebook ads? How do I be the perfect, you know, tactician at this and that and the other thing? But people like you, it seems, you're surrounding yourself with a bunch of brains. <laughs> and you're, you're getting the who's in the right seat. Is that fair? And I'm curious, James, uh, take on this, too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so just going back to your question, if I understood it well, it was just drawing the parallel between, um, you know, those those startup entrepreneurs that are out there um, working real hard, running a smaller business, as opposed to someone that's experienced exponential growth and is running a business, whether it's 10 million, 20 billion or 444 million liquor brands will combine this year. And just the, the, the parallels between those. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd agree with everything Brian said, of course. 
Um, there's a saying that we have here that is Brian actually coined it and, and lives it every day is that it's all about people. I think at the end of the day, it, it absolutely comes down to people regardless, uh, well, I say almost regardless of what your business is. But, um, you know, from my perspective, uh, everything rises and falls on leadership and uh, your ability as a leader to uh, both make tough decisions when they're needed and also your willingness to surround yourself with the right people, which ultimately releases control. And when I look at uh, the road I've been on with Brian, we first met, I don't know what it was, 13 years ago or 14 years ago, and we've gone down a couple of different paths and um, then reconnected with uh, Wow One Day Painting and You Move Me. One of the things that I've always respected about Brian is he is, he is uh, relentless at trying to find the right fit for leaders in the organization. And he's not hung up about having to try and do everything himself. Um, which then fosters a great culture, which obviously is another critical part of a, an organization uh, that's growing. But the one thing that I will say, um, from my experience anyways, and uh, that would be a common thread, whether the business is starting up and you're doing $250,000 of, of painting or um, lawn care, whatever it is that you're doing in year one, and uh, is still true if you're, if you're pushing you know, 10 million or 20 million in revenue, is uh, is grit, and I think grit can take on different forms. Like we have these concept of four H's here uh, that we talk about: people being happy, hardworking, hands-on, and hungry. And uh, that kind of is all encapsulated in in the word grit. When I say grit, I mean people that are really relentlessly focused on a goal, and uh, they are prepared to do what is necessary to hit the goal. Obviously, making sure that people are taking care of along the way. But I don't think that grit factor ever goes away. Uh, if you're hungry enough and you're committed enough to something. Um, and you're willing enough to uh, release control and build the right team, I would say we believe you can build a business to whatever size um, you want. That is an amazing answer. I mean, what one of the things that I thought I heard in there was maybe Brian's not a perfectionist or a control freak. He, he's willing to release control for an opportunity to build a, a bigger team. Is that something that you notice between maybe small businesses is they're just, <laughs> they won't let their hands off the wheel or something. I mean, does Brian yeah. give, give you yeah. permission to make mistakes, James, with while one day paint, like, <laughs> can you move about the cabin, so to speak? I don't think he has a choice. So the yes is, is the short answer. And, and, uh, you know, the book you just released is called willing to fail. And that's a, that's a core tenant of, of, you know, every part of all of our organizations. Um, but, Yes is the answer to your question, right? Like when, when I look at our systems and when we bring on a new franchise partner and talk to them about the different stages in the life cycle of growth of a business and what it's going to look like um, in those early days, you, you have to have your hands on the wheel because you kind of have to learn everything in order to lead it. You, you, you in most cases need to be able to do it. Um, but that's for a period of time if you want to if you want to grow your business. And in, to your question, in order to grow your business, it is absolutely required that uh, you have to be able to release control and attract the right people and then lead and coach those people to succeed if you want your business to grow. Otherwise, your business is just you. And I know there's probably a ton of people listening to this podcast right now, nodding their heads going, yeah, the business feels like it's just me. Well, that's you're not alone. And uh, you know, what we try and do is, is uh, set the right expectations and then, and then set the businesses up to scale at the right times by, by leading people um, to support them. Well, you know, a lot of the the organizational charts for these small businesses is like a dot with like with a circle of other dots around the middle dot, right? So like everything's going through them and they can't they can't scale, they get stuck. I, Brian, were you always confident that this would work out? I mean, 
were you just like ho-hum, bubblegum chewing, like, yeah, I'm just going to build a $100 million thing, no big deal? Or I'm assuming you went through the pain and suffering and learning to how to price things correctly, how to you know understand the financials so you could scale and market correctly and all of that stuff. What was that like for you in the early days? What were you? What did you feel like when it wasn't a guaranteed home run yet? Well, you know, there's never a guarantee, and I think it's been an up up and down roller coaster journey. That you know, lots of failures, lots of hardships, lots of learning along the way. I think that at a four hundred plus million dollar business, it's easy for maybe your listeners to go, "Oh yeah, look, Brian's got this big company right now." Of course, it's easy to say, "Look at all the mistakes we made." But we really did have times where I didn't have a clue what I was doing, nor did I really have any reason to believe that this would succeed. It took me eight years to get 1-800-GOT-JUNK to a million in revenue. And now that brand will do a million in revenue on, on most given days. So it took a long time to really build it up. And I think at the million dollar mark eight years in, I, I didn't know that I could scale it. I didn't even know if I wanted to scale it. And I remember taking a trip to my parents' summer cottage, pulling out a sheet of paper. I was in a bit of a do- doom loop, depression. And I said, you know, what could pure possibility look like if I could only imagine a future for this business? And I started to write out things like we would be in the top 30 metros in North America by the end of 2003, five years out. We would be the FedEx of junk removal. We'd be on the Oprah Winfrey show. And every one of those things five years out did happen and did come, come to fruition. But there were so many points in time where I said, I don't know if I believe in the vision anymore. I don't know if I can do this. But it's that vision, the guiding star of that destination, the why you're building what you're building that, that guides you. I, I don't know an entrepreneur out there that's ever been wildly successful who hasn't doubted themselves, doubted their business, doubted their team. And I think that's a normal part of the journey. It's so awesome because now we all know that you're just a regular human, Brian. That's that's very encouraging to everybody else. I'm assuming that at this point, it's a money's more of a scorecard. You know, you're driving, you create more opportunity, creating jobs, but you're just addicted to building things. I'm assuming you mentioned early earlier about the visionary versus the integrator. I think you know, like the traction concept, right? Talk about that a little bit and, and how James kind of compliments you as an integrator when it comes to while one day print painting. Yeah, so I, you know, a, a little story. I remember approaching James. James was part of 1-800-GOT-JUNK for years, left the business for a little while, started his own flooring company, ended up years later coming back. And and before he came back, I presented the idea of wow one day painting. I said, hey, listen, you used to work for a big painting outfit you understand painting. What do you think of this? And James said, you're freaking nuts. And, uh, you know, he thought Don't it was do a, it. Yeah, <laughs> the stupidest idea in the world. And the visionary in me said, this is an amazing idea. But the implementer in James said, this is crazy. You can't do this. But it's interesting. We went through a period where I said, well, I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> James then saw, I wanted feedback from him on our rebrand. We changed the look, the feel of the logo and the brand. And James looked at it and said, you know what, I'm in. Somehow saw something, and maybe I'll let James weigh in and comment, but he saw something that day that told him it can be implemented, and he wanted to be a part of the vision. Yeah, and and that's, so the the visionary implementer analogy is so true. And uh, I remember that day, I remember sitting in that room with you and saying, you're nuts. 
And all I could think of was, uh, man, can we think of a more complicated way to run a business? Like, is this is this really going to happen? And Brian was coming from the perspective of, but but I just experienced this. Like, this just happened. I just lived this. This totally can happen. So if it can happen once, why wouldn't we be able to build a globally admired brand with this? And uh, and I saw immediately operational challenges and, you know, what does this mean to people and margins and structure and whatnot? But um, yeah, like when 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 uh, a little bit of time had passed and I had processed it a bit and then you came forward and showed me the brand and what that would mean and the feeling because brand is really a feeling right that is that is conveyed and, and retained by uh, customers from pe- from from a, a brand. Uh, I, I kind of got it and I, I looked at that uh, green smiley face that you created, I think at a gelato stand in Italy and uh, <laughs> Um, I, it was kind of one of those moments where I went, this is so crazy. It just might work. And, uh, for me, the tipping point though, uh, was, so we, we also have a little, uh, a little belief here in, in three, uh, three components, uh, called focus, faith, and effort. And when I committed to come on board and, uh, lead wow, one day painting, uh, I came on board with, um, with faith and it was a commitment that this is going to work. We were going to make it work. Did I 100% believe it was going to work at that point? No, not at all. I still had a ton of doubts. I still thought Brian was a little nuts. I still do. But, I'm uh, sure Brian is nuts. Yeah, that's yeah. of course, right? That's, He's the that, crazy that, visionary. That's, that's the beauty of it. But it, but I remember when it all came to fruition was, uh, you know, I was kind of a year in, was traveling all over North America, meeting our current franchise partners, and I was on a site in actually Minneapolis, and I was looking at it, looking at a, a project, and I was across the street, and the job was well branded. We had a crew of people producing the job, and the sign was up, and some neighbors came by, and they just said, "Are you gonna Are you gonna do that in a day?" And they didn't know I was with the, the company, but they just looked at it and walking their dog, and they said, "Wow, do you think they're gonna paint that house in a day?" And I kind of looked at them, looked at the house, and I said, "I think that's the plan." And then they looked at the house, and they looked at me, and they said, "Wow." Then they walked away. And at that moment, I was mm. like, I, I saw what Brian saw. Mm-hmm. It's just I'm not as smart, and it took me a lot longer. So from that moment on, it has been um, a pretty exciting ride. Oh, that's such a cool story. And I want you to explain, like, the old way of painting a house and compared to, like, if you could get more technical on, like, why this is such a big deal for people that may, maybe it's not clicking yet. But uh, I'm a visionary, too. So, like, I live in the future. I see the future. I'm, like, playing in the future. And... I look at problems as like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. We'll, we'll figure it out. Like, we'll figure it out. And then <laughs> people that are visionaries that I work or I'm sorry, integrators that I work with are like totally, all they can see are the obstacles in the way, right? And the challenges that have to be solved. And it's a beautiful combination. Um, so ex- explain like the really epic power of your business model with painting and the process, uh, the way it normally is compared to the way that you guys do it. Sure. Um, I think at, so at the core, like the name of the company is wow one day painting. What our brand is, is, uh, two words that deliver one thing. So our brand is speed plus quality equals wow. So two words are speed and quality that delivers a wow. And, you know, when, when you really break it down, it's actually, it's, it's, you know, we, we kind of try and create this magical experience for uh, homeowners or business owners, but it's actually really quite simple. There, there is no, there's no magic, you know, behind the curtain that actually makes it happen. Other than the fact that traditionally, as many people listening to this podcast will relate, when you look at what success is or how you define success on a painting project, typically success would be defined as uh, it's a quality job. 
So what does quality mean? Quality, well, if you ask a lot of people in the industry, they would say that it is excellent preparation. You know, the cut lines are straight, the coverage is solid, um, the, the cleanup is done really well, and the finished product is going to last a long time, whether it's an interior exterior project or commercial project, whatever. And, and so a quality job is how success was measured. What we have done is we have just added one more factor to how we define success of the job. So you don't have to compromise quality to also add in the factor of speed. So for us, success is not just a quality job, but it's, it's giving you the quality you expect in a timeline that's unexpected. And so by doing that, what we do is we provide a service that people need, and we do so by removing the disruption that traditionally can be experienced when you're allowing painting contractors into your home. And I don't know if you've had painting contractors in your home recently, but you know they can be the unwanted uh, house guests that can stick around for days, if not as sometimes weeks on end. And um, that, in a nutshell, is what it is. And so, how we how we approach it is uh, one of our our we call our EFA's exceptional focus areas is is um, is part of the component. We just have bigger crews, and uh, we have uh, we have a relentless attention to goal setting and planning on a job site. So when you map out a job. You just have to have an excellent plan, break down the goals into really small components and make sure you got enough people to do it. And I think when, Brian, you pitched it to me the first time, you would have said this the first time. And maybe you can explain why this made sense to you. But to Brian was like, well, if you can paint one, one painter can paint one room in a day. Why can't eight painters eight, paint eight rooms in a day? And to you, it just seemed like it made sense. And lo and behold, it kind of works. Absolutely. And it's it's one of those things where. It seems like magic. It feels like magic to the customer. They don't really care how it's done, and they really wonder how it's possible. But it is that simple. One or two people into a room. You know, I remember when my home got painted by the company that we acquired that became Wow One Day Painting. There were 16 painters in my home. They finished by <laughs> 6.30 p.m. Floor to ceiling, moldings, trim. It was immaculate. There were three coats in the kitchen because of the dark color underneath. It looked unbelievable. The feeling, the word out of my mouth was "wow," and that was the start of the business. Yeah, and, and there's there's all kind of you know I would imagine some people listening would be like, "But what about this? What about prep? What about you know, what about giving it enough time? What about you know multiple coats?" And yeah, all those things are factors, but there are ways to problem solve them. And so uh, our approach over the last number of years is is take a really rigorous uh, look at the actual operational challenges and then build systems to address them. Because at the end of the day, and our, you know, we're pretty proud of our net promoter score and our online review percentage. Um, if, if you don't have that quality job and you can't deliver the quality that everybody else is expecting, you don't have a company. So uh, it is definitely not at the cost of doing it the right way. I think it's just amazing. It's such a profoundly different value proposition when you can be the only company that does something. You know, like we're the only company that's smart. We will get it done in one day. That one tiny thing is such a huge differentiator. I, I, I know customers would love it. I'm, does it get more challenging with like exterior painting or do you have to pressure wash or scrape or things like that? I'm sure there's nuanced situations, right? Yeah, it, it, it for sure. And maybe I'll ask Brian to... to comment on creating a category versus creating a business because that's I think was part of his vision when he saw this as well 
But uh, yeah, for sure, it can get challenging. I think the business uh, model, one of the things that also makes this business model a little bit unique is we are we would look at the business inside out, meaning our core customer is um, uh, a premium customer who needs the interior of their home or business done. That's our core customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, we would then go after and want to support them for the exterior work. Whereas traditionally, painting businesses will go after the exterior work first. Now, your question of is it more complicated with the exterior? Uh, well, it would be more compl- complicated in that the preparation and getting the job ready, we would, we would want to make sure uh, absolutely no corners are cut. The finish coat and the actual application of the painting on the exterior, that's the piece we do in a day. So on the exterior side, we absolutely would do it in two chunks. So I'm not fussed if on a large exterior job, we can't get the, get everything from power washing to painting completed in a day. You, you shouldn't. But if the actual painting piece is done in a day, we're still delivering on speed plus quality. So the customer says, wow. The oh, way the, so anal- the analogy I would give, I, I think everyone listening could relate to Amazon Prime. You want something delivered that same day, but not every product due to size, availability, whatever the case, might not be able to get to you that same day. And sometimes you get things in a week. But it's the fact that most things with Amazon Prime can get to you in a day. That puts Amazon so far and above their competition in every way that they own a category. And with Wow One Day Painting, same thing. I mean, our biggest challenge, and this is what's kind of exciting about the business, Biggest challenge is finding more awesome entrepreneurs that want to be a part of what we're building. We're not looking for painters. We're looking for people that are leaders that want to build and grow something special with us. And the people that come to us that go, oh, yeah, I've painted before, wrong people. We're looking for people that want to revolutionize the customer experience in this space. And uh, finding more of those great people is what drives uh, James and I every day. Well, this is a perfect transition point then. I want to like, I want to challenge the concept of franchising a little bit, just like on behalf of maybe some of the listeners. And I have some questions because it seems to me like franchising, um, at least in home services, maybe beyond that, I'm not sure, is becoming less relevant because there's so many information products, there's so many, you know, there's mastermind groups and there's resources, there's deep training, there's all this stuff you can get online. And it, it kind of like weakens the, the value proposition of a franchise. It, the other problem is that at least in the home service space, many, many, many of the franchises, I won't name them and call them out or whatever, but these franchisees feel really, really wronged by the franchisor and they feel like they're trapped, you know, and they get stuck and then they, they're not getting the support. Almost like franchises are really good at selling franchises, <laughs> like, but not as good as building the business on the back end or supporting the entrepreneur. There's a ton of factors in that, but it's a common thing that we talk about in our community. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, am I onto something? Am I missing something? Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's James here. I'll, I'll maybe take a first cut at that. And uh, a very, you know, commonly asked question that we get when we're talking to prospective candidates and franchise partners is just, you know, what makes you different or why should I consider franchising? And, you know, um, my 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 own personal perspective, uh, Brian commented earlier that I, I had uh, started or started a business, started a flooring business. Actually, I actually, there was a partner of mine that started it and I bought in and grew it with them. Um, 
a couple of partners, but I, I, I've had the, I've had the uh, opportunity or privilege of kind of growing up in the franchising space, going away from it, living and working in, uh, in small business where I was not part of a franchise and we're, we were building our own brand and pulling twenties out of our jeans to cover payroll and, and add the next salesperson and add the next operational leader and whatnot. And, and really try and scale the business quickly, which we did. Uh, and then also to come back and be part of a brand and part of what is now our O2E brands, family of brands. And we can't speak, obviously, for all franchisors, because I think we would all agree there's a lot of variation in what, you, you know, you might be able to get from a, a, a franchise system or a franchisor. But, uh, but my perspective is uh, the value of a franchisor really depends on, on what you're looking for. Like if, you, if you're wanting to uh, make uh, all the calls, uh, call all the shots, do everything your way, um, and the truest form of being an entrepreneur, I don't know that franchising is necessarily the right fit for someone. Um, but what I do believe is, is if someone is looking to be entrepreneurial and run their own business and have systems and support and structure that are in place so they don't have to recreate the wheel, man, I don't know a better system that's ever been created than franchising. And, and uh, just speaking from our perspective, like uh, we take very seriously the responsibility as a franchisor of when someone comes in early on, it's incumbent on us to have the systems and the processes to get someone from day one to being very competent so that they can execute with excellence for our customers very quickly and they can be on a path to profitability very quickly. If you can do that, then we can start to talk about scaling and growing your businesses. Then you go through kind of the middle period of time where the value that I see in this kind of this middle period or the second period of franchising is you're part of a family. And as many people listening to this podcast can understand, being an entrepreneur can be very, very lonely. And the power of being able to jump on a conference call or be on a webinar every month with 100 other people that are going through the exact same thing and they understand what you're doing and the pains and the challenges, how energizing that can be. And the best practice learning that comes from that is so powerful and allows you to move so much quicker than if you were on your own. And then the third part of the third section would be the back end uh, of, you know, more mature brands or if someone's sort of in the twilight of their, their run with a business, man, with a well-run franchise system, you want to be part of a franchise system for your exit strategy because uh, a strong franchise system will have demand for the system within the system. And you think decades down the road, that's another reason to be part of it. So anyways, lots more I can say on that, but Brian, you probably have some, some much better comments than that. Yeah, just, you know, my perspective, again, going high level with some analogies, but, you know, if you look at a sports franchise, your listeners can probably relate to hockey or football, but let's pick the NHL. The National Hockey League is a franchise system. It's a platform. And when someone, someone can go start their own hockey club and hockey team, and, but if you want to really be a part of building something bigger and better together, you start an NHL franchise. You take a city you build out a team, there's a flow of players through the draft, there's systems and support on how to scale and sell tickets and market the business, that's a franchise. And when you look at uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Wow One Day Painting, Shack Shine, it doesn't matter which brand, it's giving people a platform. It's giving them something to build bigger, better, faster together with a great team of people versus going at it alone. Again, as James says, if someone's looking to be a pure entrepreneur and invent a new category and space on their own and figure out all the little tips and tricks and what works and what doesn't, you know, like I did, I guess, then then this might not be for them. But to give you a perspective, it took me eight years to get to a million in revenue. 
our first franchise owner, Paul Guy in Toronto, got to a million in his first full calendar year because we had a proven recipe on which to scale. And that's the, the beauty of uh, franchising in my mind. Yeah, and Josh, if I can just layer on your comment on, you know, sometimes people feel, or you've heard, or in the industry, people people sometimes share or hear that they might uh, feel that they're not getting the value or they're sold, uh, sold a franchise as opposed to being awarded one that has strong systems. Um, the biggest thought I would throw out there, a piece of advice I would, I would share is just make sure you do your due diligence in um, talking to the actual, uh, the owners, the franchise partners, because as I'm sure everybody would agree, the true voice of the system and the true litmus test of what the value is that the franchisor provides is going to come from those that are in the system. And if the franchisor doesn't have a very, very focused eye on making sure that it's their job to increase validation of their brand, their system and their structure, um, yeah, the franchise system might be a bit weaker. That was a lot of good stuff. I'm trying to like scribble down my notes. <laughs> uh, I, I like the NHL analogy. I also like the fact that your companies are so big, Brian. Like 1-800-GOT-JUNK is a huge thing. And I think maybe one of the reasons in home services that some of the franchises I'm talking about have such a such a bad rap is because they're all really, really small. It's almost as if the original franchisor just jump the gun or something. They're not big. You guys have a track record in multiple brands of doing it over and over. I do definitely agree that there's huge value in not being on an island and being lonely and crowdsourcing uh, ideas and systems and innovation and all that. That That is a massive, massive thing. So I, I appreciate you sh sharing your perspective on that. You know, it's it's a fragmented industry out there. You know, like I always wondered if a if a window cleaning franchise could really get big, big, not a hundred locations big, but just like mega, mega big, just because the barriers to entry and things like that. Uh, one follow-up question I wanted to ask you are with all of your franchises, I'm assuming you guys charge, you know, luxury premium pricing uh, as part of your model. Not everybody's your customer. Is that an important part of what you guys do? And is that what allows you to reinvest into your scale and, and grow it quicker? Uh, yes, that's a that's a part of it. I think for all of our for all of our franchises, uh, what we would what we would have what we'd be trying to ensure that we're always doing is being very very clear on who our customer is and who our customer isn't, and um, you know whether that's through us speaking through through uh, our copy or content or our websites. Um, you know, we believe that uh, if you're once you're clearing your customer, and yeah, we would we would definitely be going after a more premium customer. Your uh, your brand should attract the right customers, and it should repel the wrong customers because it's just not the right fit. There's a saying that somebody that we work with says you got to choose who to lose, and uh, if you're if you're going after every customer, very awesome often it's just a race to the bottom, um, as we see many businesses just compete on price. So from from that perspective, I would I would say yes. Yeah, I think in uh in any market, if you go into retail, it's generally the low-cost provider who's the biggest in a space. If you go into the service space in any given market, it's usually the high-cost or the higher-cost provider who's the biggest because customer service requires money. You've got to have enough money to pay the right people to really build out a premium service. And, uh, you know, it, it differentiates us. So we're not trying to compete on price. We're trying to compete by being an international brand where someone, you know, this happens to us all the time. Someone will be in 
Calgary, Alberta, here in Canada, where they will use our Wow One Day painting service. And then they'll go down to San Francisco and they'll move there on business and they'll have a new home and they'll like go, whoa, gee, Wow One Day painting, they're here too. And they'll call them up. And the instant credibility of having a national brand, that's what differentiates us as a franchisor. You want someone who's working really hard to take care of their franchise partners, knowing that you cannot be successful without your partner's success. And when you do it together and it all works like magic, that national brand and scale uh, is, is a part of what really uh, has made this so much fun to build. That's so cool. You guys are awesome. I, hopefully we can become best friends over the next few years. I, I just want to <laughs> hang out with you and pick your brains. Um, so if someone's listening to this and they're going, you know what, maybe I want to investigate this. Maybe maybe they have an existing business, but it's not quite working the way that they hoped it would. Uh, what's their next step? How do they talk to you guys, uh, whether it's Wild One Day Painting, Shack Shine, or any of the other ones? Uh, what would be the process and what's involved? Yeah, I think I... You know, we'll both answer this, but I think I would start by saying go to o2ebrands.com, letter O, number two, letter E. It stands for ordinary to exceptional. So if you go to o2ebrands.com, you'll see our different brands and you'll see does something resonate with you? Does it look and feel like something you could see building? Now, one thing we've taken seriously as we've built and grown our brands is 100 people call one person ends up getting awarded a franchise. So we're very selective because the thing that we've learned is not anybody can make this a success. And how we choose our partners and how we really help build and grow great people, it's gotta be the right cultural fit and it's gotta be somebody who really gets our customer experience, what makes the brand special and uh, is willing to follow the recipe of success. Yeah, I, I would agree. So whether it's one of the brands, you go to wowoneday.com or, or any of the other brands.com, uh, o2ebrands.com is a great place to start. And uh, I would just double down on that. If, if there were any listeners that were interested in finding out more, finding out more about being part of uh, one of our brands, what they could expect is they would expect a process. And like everything else, we've we put systems in place to uh, to determine if we are the right fit for that individual and if that individual uh, is the right fit for us. And I think I, I said this earlier on the, on the call, um, you know, obviously uh, what we're looking for in terms of the right fit to be a franchise partner with us, um, you know, starts and probably and ends with core values. Is there a fit there? Mm -hmm. um, but those four H's of being happy, hardworking, hands-on and hungry, uh, you know, combined with uh, preference for leadership and hitting goals, that, that's really what we're looking for. And we're looking for people who, just to emphasize, Brian, what you said, are open, excited, and willing to follow systems. That's awesome, guys. I want to respect your time. And as we wrap up here, can you just like drop some like, I don't know, knowledge, inspirational bombs on our listeners? Maybe to the little guy who's struggling, or maybe struggling with belief. Really, you know, it's funny. A hundred thousand dollar a year business seems impossible until it's until you're doing that a week, right? And the mm -hmm. belief the belief bar keeps moving. Uh, what would you say to a hungry person full of grit who maybe doesn't have all the belief like what words of encouragement would you give them as they build their business so the quote one of the quotes we have up in the office walt disney it's kind of fun to do the impossible we love imagining big hairy audacious goals like revolutionizing the painting business making the ordinary business of window cleaning exceptional through customer experience 
they're only impossible till you do it. So as an entrepreneur, I'd say, what's your impossible? What's your painted picture that if you were to put in writing what your compelling future story looks like, feels like, and acts like, create your destination. I mean, everybody can think in terms of vision. If I asked any of your listeners to tell me about their dream vacation, who they're with, what they're drinking, what the weather's like, they could describe it. Well, transport yourself into the future with your business and say, what does that look, feel, and act like? And uh, create your own painted picture. Now, I believe people help people. So if uh, any of your listeners ever want an example of what a painted picture is, uh, go to my Instagram, at Brian Scudamore. Just send me a little note saying, could I please have your painted picture or some reference to painted picture and I'll fire you off one of ours. And um, if any of your listeners ever, you know, this might not be something that's for them. I get that. But if they ever know anybody, please, we're looking for great people. And uh, I'm sure as you get, you've said you want to be our best friends. And uh, we certainly love your passion as well. But we're having a ton of fun building what we're building with the people that we're building it with. So uh, always looking for awesome entrepreneurs. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, uh, James. Nice meeting you. Brian, nice meeting you. You guys are rock stars. And uh, it's funny that you weren't even sure if you wanted to keep going with your business. And you started sketching out a little vision board for yourself and said, yeah, what if, what if we went built a, you know, <laughs> a, a beast of a multi hundreds of millions of dollar company and made an international business? Now, well, maybe I'll just do that instead. And I'll just go on. <laughs> I'll just go on Oprah, too. Why not? Let's do it. But it starts <laughs> with it starts with calling your shot. I totally agree. Every high achiever I know does the same thing. It's always the same process. It's a high level of belief, calling your shot and chopping wood every day, moving towards that. Uh, and surrounding yourself with positive people. You guys are awesome. Thank you for coming on the Quick Talk Podcast. Guys, I'll put links in the show note to uh, O2E Brands. You can check out their brands. They have some really, really great brands. You need to study their website, study what they're doing, really understand kind of how they're crafting their value proposition. Um, If you have any final closing thoughts, and then I'll let you go. Yeah, just, uh, you know, you're doing a great job. You're a fun interviewer and great energy. And I'm used to doing podcasts just myself and one other person, but it was really fun having James join us. And uh, it's good stuff. So thank you again. All the best to you and uh, keep up the great work. Yeah, I just echo that. Thanks thanks for your time and for the questions uh, that you asked. And it was our privilege to be here uh, today on the podcast. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for hanging out, friends. And from all of us here at the Quick Talk Podcast team, we hope you love today's show. We hope that you were inspired to become a doer and not just a listener. Apply what you've heard today in your own business and watch things change for the better. Lastly, remember that all the money in the world can't save your soul. Seek first the kingdom of God, my friends. We'll see you next time. For more information about the Quick Talk Podcast or Joshua's other businesses, visit our website, quicktalkpodcast.com. Have a blessed day.